Hello and welcome to Tower Hill Online. I'm Karen G, and this is our weekly sermon recap. Does seeing always lead to believing? Today's message was given on Easter Sunday, where we discuss how science doesn't always give us the answers. Faith is what you need when things don't make sense. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. For a lot of folks and for a lot of church-going folks, this is a religious ritual that we do. And we celebrate the risen Lord. But what if there is something more here that sometimes goes unnoticed? I was thinking of my dad this Easter. He was the kind of guy, he used to tell me for years, he goes, Jason, I know, okay, he rose again from the dead, that's great. He ascended all that stuff and it's for me. So why can't he just like show up? Why can't I just be watching TV on my couch and he shows up on my couch? Are you telling me he can't do it? Why doesn't he? Why does he just do that for all of us? Because faith is something that's so hard. I don't understand. I can't see it. And we definitely live in this culture of, well, seeing is believing. You know, people say that all the time. Seeing is believing. Why do people say that? I was asking myself that. Why do people say that? Seeing is believing. I think it's very much in tune with our scientific look at the world. And let me just say this. And maybe it's surprising to you as a pastor, but I, I'm not against science. I love science. I think science and faith go together. It's like a huge scientific discovery is made. I'm like, awesome, that's how God did it. Cool. We learned a little more about, but still, we don't know how it all works, and God did it. Right? Isn't that the point? God did it? Anyway, I never understood the this in the science and faith argument. But I think we, we have a tendency to view the world with certain lenses, like lenses of the scientific process. You guys know the scientific process. You were taught this in school, and it's a lot of the ways that we live our life. And, and it's a really helpful process. It starts with you ask a question, then you do some research, and you come up with a hypothesis. Then you experiment. You test the hypothesis. You collect the data, and you come to your conclusion. And that's all well and good. But sometimes there are, there are gaps between what really is and what the scientific process can deliver. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we come across things in science that don't match our expectations. They don't match our hypothesis. Here's what I mean. If you look at the universe, you know, light topics today. If you look at the universe, the science is really weird when it gets big. We're talking about like cosmology, and not cosmetology, cosmology, <laughs> and the study of the universe, and when things get really small with subatomic particles. Here's what I mean. So some of you remember, we talked about this when it happened, the James Webb Telescope went out into space in July of 2022, so almost a year ago, and started bringing back these images that were mind-blowing, images of the universe that we had never seen before. The problem was the images that were coming back were shattering what astronomers had believed for decades. 
what they saw defied what they thought was going to be there. So here's what they believe, that the further you look back into space, the further you can see, the earlier you're looking at in time. And when you look that far, you're going to see what they thought is stars that were just in the process of forming, galaxies that were unorganized, because that's what the science was kind of telling them. And then the telescope comes back and shows what you see on the screen, these perfectly formed galaxies and stars, and astronomers were freaking out. Here's what one of them said. This is an article from Relevant Magazine. Said, the models just don't predict this, Garth Illingsworth, an astronomer at the University of California at Santa Cruz, told the Washington Post. By the way, that's a great scientist name, Garth Illingsworth. Okay. I believe him already. He has instant credibility. (laughs) He He says, how do you do this in the universe at such an early time? How do you form so many stars so quickly? This means a certain amount of reevaluation is in order. But that's the nature of science. Scientists are used to hypotheses falling apart under the weight of new data. Wild, right? What they thought for years and years and years just was different in reality. Or again, if things get really small, subatomic particles get really weird. I don't know if you've gone down the rabbit hole in some of this stuff. I'm a little bit of a nerd, so just bear with me as I nerd out just a little bit. So you take a chair, for example. About 200 years ago, they kind of figured out, well, the chair is made up of smaller things like molecules. And so all these molecules together hold the chair together. But then about 100 years ago, they discovered, well, wait, there's something even smaller than that. The molecules are made up of atoms, of electrons and protons and neutrons. And so I know your high school is coming back to you. And uh, which is wild, by the way, I heard a comedian recently say, uh, the whole universe is made of atoms. It doesn't make sense. How come these atoms are Jason? And they're not like you. Like, what do they decide? Okay, nope, sorry, we're Jason. We're not going to be a chair. It's confusing. Anyway, the, uh, so atoms make up the molecules. And then they figured out, I want to say it was maybe 60 years ago or 50 years ago, that it's even smaller than that. These things called quarks. Ever heard that before? Quarks in subatomic par- particles that be, are really the essential, irreducible building blocks of all matter. And these quarks are very strange. Like they try to measure them and then they disappear and then they reappear, not where they thought. It's, they don't obey any of the scientific laws and they're trying to figure it all out. This is what I learned when I was going through physics and going through uh, science in college. And now this article comes out in 2019 from New Scientist says, and now in a twist to rival that of any experimental novel, it seems quarks may not actually exist. According to tantalizing new research, they may instead be an illusion, the product of quantum trickery we don't yet fully understand. Just to say, sometimes our scientific lenses that we put on the world and the the criteria by which we judge everything isn't exactly telling us what's real. And I think this matters when it comes to faith. Why? Because when it comes to science, we're willing to take it on faith. When it comes to faith, we demand to see the science. Maybe there's just something that we've missed when it comes to Jesus. 
Sunday morning, and listen, you guys know that you could guess pastors love Easter Sunday. It's great. It's fun. It's like the Super Bowl for us. So, right? You know, we get all jacked up on caffeine and Holy Spirit. I don't know which one is really, really running the show. But, but for a lot of people who have gone to church their whole lives, and maybe this is you, you've come, you've celebrated Easter, and you walk out the door, and it's like, well, okay, that was great, and now on with the rest of our lives. As if this thing, this resurrection thing, doesn't pertain to the rest of it. When I walk out these doors, I might feel good. And I hope so. I hope you feel good when you walk out of here. But is it just about this Jesus that we've already think that we know everything about? It's kind of like in our culture, we've all been inoculated with just enough Jesus to think that we know him. But maybe there are some things that we're still missing. Because I'll ask you this, if seeing is believing, why didn't everyone who see Jesus believe? He literally did come down on the couch with us. He entered human history so that he could be known by us. Then why is it not everybody who saw him believed in him? They saw him do the miraculous things. They, they saw him heal people. What, why didn't they believe? Many did, but not everybody. Well, I think we find the answer to this embedded in our scripture for Easter Sunday. This is from the Gospel of Luke. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. By the way, I love how we just, we roll past those words and, oh yeah, two angels and they look like lightning and on to the next verse. Like that wouldn't be the most ridiculously incredible thing you've ever experienced in your life. Anyway, onward. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Peter was absolutely seeing his believing, right? He didn't, they did not believe the women when they told them what happened. They had to go see for themselves. And even then, and it's so funny to us, because we know how the story ends, but they're like, oh, Jesus said he'd, he'd rise again. I went to the tomb, and it was empty, and the ships were there. I wonder what happened, you know? He didn't get it, because it wasn't computing with the lens through which he was viewing Jesus in the world. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. First of all, why would they be leaving? Because they thought it was over. 
This whole Jesus experiment was over. He died. He was in the tomb. Time to go back to the rest of our lives. Time to go back to being fishermen and tax collectors. and They're on their way back. They're on their way out. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Which is really weird. It's hard to explain. Here's the Jesus that they have spent a lot of time with. Literally, to follow Jesus back then was like, okay, we we camp out or we stay somewhere, we get up in the morning, we have breakfast with Jesus, and then we follow where he goes. They know Jesus intimately well, and they don't recognize him. More about that in a minute. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And of course, the irony is, Jesus is right in front of them. They don't see him either. What's going on in this moment is critical to our experience of Jesus right now. And that is, maybe there's a different kind of sight required to see Jesus, the real Jesus. Not the Jesus that we've domesticated, that version of Jesus that we decide to put away and pull out when it's convenient. You know, we all do it. Things are going really bad in my life. Where's Jesus again? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Where'd I put him? <laughs> Maybe there are different lenses we need to help us to see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Still, don't know that it's Jesus. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. That moment when they saw him do that thing that he does with the bread, it was a faith trigger. A faith 
trigger. Faith is triggered, then they see him. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? I want to say, maybe after church today, you know, someone asked, well, how was church? Were not our hearts burning within us? <laughs> be a great response. Kids, that's a good one for you to tell your parents. I'm sure you get extra candy. <laughs> were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What Jesus was doing was showing us the way to follow him now, you and me. Jesus was preparing them for a new way of following, that believing is the way to seeing, not the other way around. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand because I know this is embarrassing, but as you've aged, you can't see the back of the credit card numbers? <laughs> yeah, it's okay, I know, like I'm with you. It's a very depressing thing, but... And you could get, and I, went, I went to Barnes and Noble, right? And I went and I started trying on the readers and they didn't kind of work. It was still sort of fuzzy. So I knew I was going to need a prescription. And it didn't matter how, glasses, no glasses, whatever. I still couldn't really see it. So then I got the prescription, got the glasses. And it was like, oh, this, this is awesome, you know? Um, and really horrifying, but I, as I'm using these glasses, I'm thinking, well, now I can see the way I was meant to see. I could see the things in front of me that I just couldn't see before. And it's not a tough leap to imagine that this is the corrective lens that we all need, the lens of faith. When we have faith, when we believe, we see things as they really are. We have God-shaped lenses, if you will. We see the world that was always right in front of us that didn't necessarily come to life because of our scientific inquisition. They came to life because of the faith that was triggered. When we believe, our eyes are opened and we recognize him. Maybe you're thinking, well, I mean, that's, my dad used to say this all the time. He's like, well, that's convenient. I've got to believe first. And then I see. I said, yeah. Exactly. You have to put on the faith glasses to see. This is, Jesus wants us to trust. Because trust means something. When you trust, you risk. You put yourself out there. But I promise you this, if you trust in faith, God's going to prove it to you. Jesus is going to prove it to you. You have all the scientific proof that you need. The hypothesis will be tested correctly and you'll see that it's all true. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've, you know, I was doubting, I was in a tough spot, and I put my faith that God was gonna take care of me. I didn't know how. In some ways, it didn't even make sense. There's a time in my life when my dad was in prison, my mom was dying of cancer. I, as the oldest of the kids, I was trying to hold everything together with a telemarketer job. Yeah. I was a telemarketer for like 10 days. <laughs> and then, I, and then I, I was sort of told like I had to go because I wasn't selling people hard. I was too nice. <laughs> so I think I had no sales. I'm like, so anyway. In all those different times in my life when I was really up against it and I just trusted. Like, okay, God, I don't know how, but I'm, I'm going to put on the faith lenses and I'm going to take a step. Every single time, every single time he came through, I never once regretted 
leading with faith. If you put the faith lenses on, he's going to prove it to you. And I'll say this, if you're not sure, maybe somebody dragged you out of bed today to be at church, it's okay, I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're not there yet, but why not now? Jesus is going to give you that very thing you're craving for anyway. Love, peace, hope, purpose, forever. He's going to give you life. That version of yourself that you've been chasing, you don't have to chase. He's been chasing you. And when you put on the faith lenses, all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is how things really are. You know I speak in movies. So, at the risk of using this too many times, because every pastor you've ever heard of has used this reference, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I mean, that's just begging for a sermon. He's told that he has to cross, jump out of the lion's mouth, cross the other side. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to ruin it for you, but you should have seen it by now. There's really no excuse. He's got to take a step of faith. He looks, he sees this chasm below him. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He knows he has to take a step. It comes down to what you believe, right? You remember he steals himself. Harrison Ford's so good in this scene. Takes that breath, hand over his heart, puts his foot out, dramatically steps to the ground that he never realized was there. It was camouflaged by the canyon, by the rocks. This is the life of faith in Jesus Christ. Now we can walk out of here and we can stand at the lion's mouth and we can be like, oh no, I'm good. I got the book that tells me what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not, I don't know. I always say this, try it. Try believing in Jesus. You could always unbelieve later. Am I right? Am I wrong? I mean, you have everything to gain in your life because there's a lot that we can't see. Proof comes after belief. But, okay, listen, scientists, how about this? What about a scientific method for your faith? Just start with this question, is Jesus really God? What's, what's the hypothesis you're going to test? How do you do that? By trusting in God. Just start trusting. And see what kind of data you collect at the end. I think your conclusion might surprise you. Even conclusions you came up with your whole life ago. Remember, it's no big deal. It's the nature of science. It's used to changing under the weight of current data. My question to all of us is, do we see him? Are our eyes open? I think you'll discover when your eyes are opened, you're going to realize Jesus was there the whole time, walking you and sometimes carrying you through your life. And I pray that all of us will put on the Easter lenses and never take them off. Amen. Amen.